Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5, these are the words of Jesus. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Surely I say to you, they already have their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask them. In this manner, therefore pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Ecclesiastes and chapter um, 4, verses we read last week, two are better than one, Solomon said, because they have good reward for their labor. If they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm But how can one be warm alone? The one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And this is the phrase that we are using as our jump off point. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Father, we thank you for your presence in this place. This is your house. We've come to worship you. We want to make it, as you told us to, a house of prayer. Teach us this morning by your spirit to rest our attention, to hear the word that is spoken. Challenge us and transform us to become people who, like never before, trust you for great things, who believe you for the miraculous. I ask God that you would help me to speak not one single word of my own, but only that which is from you. I pray, God, that our minds and hearts would be fixed upon that which the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. Grant your anointing to me, not because I deserve it or earned it, because, Lord, I want to communicate your word with integrity and power. And would you speak to us and change us by the word and by your spirit today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we are um, dealing with the second of three subjects in this little mini-series, a three-stranded cord. We started last week talking about um, the words of Solomon about the strength of three. Two is strong, three is even stronger. And we talked about three spiritual disciplines that Jesus deals with in Matthew 6 that when combined uh, produce great power in the life of the believer. We talked about last week giving, today we're talking about praying, next week we will talk about fasting. And the reality is that you may be a very generous giver, um, but you maybe have never made prayer a spiritual discipline in your life. And because of that, you are not experiencing the fullness 
of what God wants to do in your life. You may be a person who has a great prayer life, but you've never trusted God to give generously and really trust him with what he has blessed you with. And because of that, you're not seeing the fullness of God's work in your life. Or maybe you give and you pray, but you've never added fasting to your uh, spiritual disciplines. We'll be talking about that next week. But today, uh, the subject is prayer. Some really great statements have been made by some really great men in regard to prayer. Martin Luther said this about prayer. To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Ian Bounds, if you ever want to read somebody who knows what he is talking about when it comes to prayer, this man, you cannot beat him. I have two really large volumes of his writing on prayer. Every one of those devotions is powerful. But he wrote this, prayer makes a godly man and puts within him the mind of Christ, the mind of humility, of self-surrender, of service, of pity, and of prayer. If we really pray, we will become more like God or else we will quit. And then he said, uh, also, Ian Bounds said, prayer should not be regarded as a duty which must be performed, but rather as a privilege to be enjoyed, a rare delight that is always revealing some new beauty. I'm guessing that if I were to poll the congregation today that many of you would say that when it comes to spiritual disciplines, prayer is a hard one. Maybe it's not for you, but I'm guessing it is for a lot of folks. If you're a person who likes to get things accomplished and mark something off your list and say, I'm done, you're a doer, you like to get things knocked out, then prayer might be difficult for you because you have to slow down. You have to be still and you don't feel like you are accomplishing anything. There's a lot of struggles that we have with prayer. We'll talk about some of those, like the why pray if God's going to do what God wants to do anyway. We'll deal with that one. But I think for a lot of believers, prayer is a very difficult spiritual discipline. And sometimes we say, I'm going to pray an hour a day. And we make it for three days. And on the third day, we're trying to fill out the hour. And by the fourth day, we have pretty much given up and we just kind of relegate prayer So one of those things we do when we throw up a Hail Mary and we're in trouble and we pray a quick little prayer and and that's all we do. And I think a lot of Christians are in that boat. And because of that, there's a lot of Christians that are spiritually weak. And when a church is full of Christians that struggle with prayer and the church doesn't become a church of prayer, the church will never reach its fullest destiny. Prayer is a key essential. It is the second component of this three-stranded cord of which Jesus spoke. And it leads us to spiritual victory, spiritual strength, and spiritual power. Last week was giving, next week fasting. Today I want to really hone in on the subject of prayer. Now the passage that I read to you in Matthew chapter 6 is a pretty popular but yet often misunderstood text. In it, Jesus gives us what we call the Lord's Prayer or the model prayer. And I want to take just a few minutes and I want to mine as deeply as we can some of the principles that we find in that text and other texts in regard to prayer. Let me just ask a quick little question. How many feel like that your prayer life could be improved upon? How many would say, all right, so I think most of us feel like there is some real room for growth. Let's begin by trying to understand the words of Jesus here. First of all, let me say this about Jesus. Uh, we all know that his discipline was prayer. 
How many times do we read that Jesus went into the mountain to pray and he spent time with the Father and, and, and he told his disciples, I've got to get alone. And, and, and in Gethsemane, he is wrestling with prayer while his disciples are falling asleep. Prayer was a discipline of Jesus. Now, here's what I would say. If Jesus, the Son of God, fully human but yet fully divine, Felt like that prayer was necessary for him while he is walking on the earth in order for him to carry out the will of the Father. How much more is it necessary for you and me? If Jesus said, I've got to pray to get accomplished what God has called me to, how much more is that true for us? Jesus understood that prayer was the key to power and, and the key to the influence that the Father wanted him to have. So let me talk about a few things. First of all, the habit of one praying. Jesus said, when you pray, and again, notice he does not say if you pray. When you pray, go into your room, and when you've shut your door, pray to the Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Jesus is teaching very clearly that every believer ought to have a place. They ought to have a time. They ought to have a consistency in their life where they know that this is the time, this is the place. I am going to seek God and pray. And I can tell you that you can say, well, I can pray anywhere. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. And absolutely you can. But if you do not, I'm just being very practical. If you don't set a place at a time where you're going to pray consistently, it will not get done. Good intentions are wonderful. But if you don't set a time and make a discipline of prayer, it will never become a discipline in your life. The secret prayer that Jesus speaks about is not a matter of keeping our prayer lives hidden. Instead, it is about growing in our relationship with Christ, being alone with God so that God can search our hearts and we can communicate with him and he can change our life as we discern his will. Secondly, let me talk about the heart of the one praying. Number one, we should pray to be, not to be seen, not to be noticed or not to be applauded by men. Jesus said, pray in the secret place because you don't want to pray like the hypocrites who stand on the street corners and say, hey, look at me, I'm praying. I'm loud, I'm boisterous. I have lots of big words. You've all been around those people who try to impress you with their prayers. By the way, how many are not impressed with people who try to impress you with your prayers? Anybody else? And it's just like kind of a little annoying when they start trying to use words that they should have looked up in the dictionary before they use. You know what I'm talking about? So Jesus is saying, um, Jesus is saying, when you pray, don't pray to be noticed. Don't pray to be applauded by men. We should pray not as one trying to manipulate God as the Gentiles did. They thought for their many words, God would hear them. They could move their deities. They could move their God by their impressive and long and boisterous and intellectual prayers. Don't you love the story in 1 Kings chapter 18 when Elijah goes to the top of the mountain with the prophets of Baal. And they're going to have this little showdown to see who the real God is. And they prepare their sacrifice and they pray all day. I mean, they're praying all day, all morning long and into the afternoon. And they're screaming and hollering and nothing's happening at all. And they start cutting themselves and they start start tearing their clothes. And I love Elijah. I just love a little sarcasm by a man of God every once in a while. And Elijah said, hey, maybe your God's on vacation. Maybe he's taking a nap. You ought to yell a little louder. And they're trying to manipulate their gods. And finally they give up. 
And Elijah says, it's my turn. Let's really douse that sacrifice with water so you know this is God. And they dump four barrels of water on it. Let's make it a little wetter. Four more barrels. Twelve barrels of water on the sacrifice. And Elijah, after they've been praying for hours and they've been cutting themselves and tearing their clothes and screaming and hollering, he prays 63 words. And the fire of God falls and consumes the sacrifice. God's not impressed. We're not manipulating him with our words and our fancy prayers. Don't pray thinking that we can manipulate him like the Gentiles did. Thirdly, we should pray with a heart that knows that God hears us and will reward us. How many believe God hears us when we pray? So we should pray as one who believes. God, I know you're hearing this. And I know that you want to reward me. You hear me in the secret place. And now you want to reward me. And fourthly, we should pray with a heart that forgives others. And I'm going to talk about this one for just a minute because I know it's everybody's favorite. We need to pray with a heart that forgives others. Look at what Jesus says one more time. If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive men their trespasses, neither will the Father forgive your trespasses. Everybody take a deep breath for just a moment, and I want to just talk to you for a second. Um, Forgiveness is a big deal to God. And unforgiveness cannot be taken lightly. Now, you can twist this scripture if you want. You can try to make it say something it doesn't. But I would challenge you to make it say something it doesn't. It says if you don't forgive, he won't forgive you. All right? Let's just take it at face value. That's what the Bible says. And by the way, that's not just the Bible. These are the words of Jesus. If you don't forgive, my father won't forgive you. The Greek term is aphemi. Its meaning is to forgive, to let go, to leave behind, to cancel a debt, to dismiss. Shows up over over 140 times in the New Testament. And here's why, look at me for a moment. This is why it's such a big deal to God, because he does it for us. How many are glad God let go and forgot and canceled your sin? How many in this room have ever offended God with your sin? Raise your hand if you've ever offended God and he forgave it. He canceled it. He dismissed it. He let it go. He doesn't hold it over your head. And so it's a big deal to him because if he's done that for us, he expects us to do it for others. The psalmist said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, if I hold on to it and I don't deal with it, the Lord will not hear me. Psalm 66, verse 18. Jesus said, if you don't forgive, I can't forgive you. Remember when Peter comes to Jesus and he said, okay, I got that forgiveness thing. And I understand we really ought to be better, Peter says, at forgiving one another. And I shouldn't hold a grudge. So how many times he thought he was impressing Jesus, should I forgive? Seven times? He thought, man, he's going to get patted on the back. And Jesus said, are you kidding me? Seven times? How about 70 times 7 every day, Peter? You shoot for 490. If you do that, then we'll talk. That's what he's telling Peter. 490 times a day, you are to forgive your brother if he hurts you and offends you. And then Jesus uh, goes on to tell the story, the parable about the man in Matthew 18. I want you to hear this story. I, I know you know it, but I want you to really listen to the details. So this man owes a king. 10,000 talents, several million dollars today. He owed the king. 
The king wanted to collect his debt. He couldn't pay. He said, if you don't pay your debt, I'm going to throw you in prison. I can't pay, king. I'm going to throw you in prison. And he said, and he begged and he pled him, said, please forgive me. Please just give me time. And because he begged and he pled, the king let it go. Canceled the debt, forgave him, set him on his way. And that sorry guy turns around and finds someone who owes him just a hundred denarii. 31 bucks today. That's only about six Starbucks is all. He owed somebody $10 million and, and he and he finds somebody that owes him enough for six Starbucks, 31 bucks, and he shakes him, grabs him by the neck, says, you got to pay up today. And the man said, I can't pay. And he had him thrown in prison because he couldn't pay the debt. Well, you know, that ticked off the king. Then his master, look at the text, that his master, after he called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the tortures until he should pay all that was due to him. So, my heavenly father, just, just so we couldn't miss this, Jesus said, So, my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. How many are glad you came this morning? All right. Forgiveness is a big deal. You got to pray with a heart of forgiveness, willing to let go, not holding on to that bitterness because Jesus has forgiven us. We are to forgive others. Thirdly, let me talk about the perspective of one praying. This is important. We should pray as a people desperate. And as a people who recognize that the world is not as it should be and only God can set things right. How many would agree with me the world today is not how God intended for it to be? It's not right. It's not as it ought to be. That's why when you pray, he says, pray, let your will be done on earth. Just like it is in heaven. Let your kingdom come, God. Don't lead us into the temptation that will have the world sucking us into it as well. This world is not right. It should break our hearts. It should cause us to intercede, not be angry with the sinner. Folks, listen. Let's be a church that's not angry at the lost and the sinner, but our hearts are broken because they are separated from God. It ought to stir us to pray, not to fire venom at them for their sin. Our hearts should be broken. We're killing babies. We're arguing over gender confusion. Our world is corrupt. People are arguing. We live in a culture of hate and violence and drama is spewed. Not only through media, but through social media. The world is not right and it should break our hearts and we ought to intercede. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That should be our perspective. We should pray for God's glory and his kingdom expansion before we think about our own kingdom. It's not about give me more stuff. God, let your kingdom glory expand so that lives can be changed. Hallowed be thy name. We should pray not as an obligatory requirement to earn the Father's love, but as an exclusive privilege given only to the children of our Heavenly Father. 
In first century Palestine, children were powerless. They were just social dependents. Their fathers were strong providers. And they were examples upon whom their children could always depend. But they didn't have any voice at all. We're not praying like pagans, hoping that our God might listen to us, that we could get a weak moment and he might do something for us. We're praying to a God who says he is our father and we are his children. And he invites us to come into his presence and talk to him and communicate with him as children do to their father. It's not an obligation we have to do. It is something we get to do, a privilege that we as his children can come and speak with God. How many are thankful for that this morning? It's a cry of faith predicated on an intimate relationship. I know that my father wants to take care of me. I know that he wants to meet my needs. I know that he wants to change my heart. And so it's not an obligation. It's an opportunity and a privilege. We don't have to pray. We get to pray. We get to pray to one who invites us and who loves to hear from us. We get to pray with one who's already, I love this, who's already started the conversation. You think, well, I, I, don't, I don't even know what to say. Just jump into the conversation because the Bible says Jesus is already praying for us. So we're just jumping in on the conversation. You don't have to start it. Just jump in with him. You know the kind of things he may be praying for you. And if you really struggle with it and you feel weak and you don't know how to pray, the Bible says the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. See, there's no excuse. The Father says, come. Jesus is already praying and the Holy Spirit says, just tell me you're weak. I'll fill in your sentences for you. You start praying, you don't know what to pray. I'll fill in the sentence for you. It is an invitation. We don't have to do it. It's not an obligation. It's a privilege as the children of God. How many are thankful for the privilege of prayer? Secondly, um, let's tackle some difficult questions because I know we have them about prayer. Number one, why pray if God's going to do what God wants to do? Anyway, anybody ever, uh, let's see how honest you'll be. Anybody ever felt that way just once in your life? Why bother praying if God is going to do what God wants to do anyway? Let me uh, introduce you to something really important. God has actually made us co-workers with him in the plan of humankind's salvation. We get to co-work with him and be a part of this. He has even in his sovereignty. Let me just define the word sovereignty in case you don't know. That means he's in charge. He's in control. He can do whatever. How many believe God can do whatever God wants to do any moment? He can just snap his fingers and said, let there be, and there was. Okay, so he can do whatever he wants to do. But God in his sovereignty, since he is sovereign and can do whatever he wants to do, one of the things he's done is he has limited himself by the faithful and continued prayers of his people. He has chosen, not that he had to, he has chosen to limit himself. He's chosen to do that so that our prayers can have an effect. He has chosen to use the prayers of his people as a way to cause spiritual activity to initiate, to begin. This may cause you to do a double take, that's okay. I've never said this in a sermon. I've been a little scared to say it, but I'm going to say it today because it's true. Look at this. Number four, there are some things that will not happen in God's kingdom unless God's people pray. There are some things that God wants to happen that will not happen unless God's people pray. 
Look at James chapter 1 and verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, you have to ask of God. So, just pause there for a moment. If you want wisdom, you've got to ask for wisdom. It doesn't just come to you. You've got to ask. If anyone lacks wisdom, he didn't say in my sovereignty, I'll give it to you. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Let's read the rest of it. Let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, unstable in all of his ways. You see the limitation there? God has limited himself. He could just give wisdom, but if you ask for it doubting, you won't receive. Later on in that same chapter, you have not because you what? Because you ask not. So God has limited himself. Moses prayed for food for the Israelites and food came. Hannah prayed for a child and she begged God and she cried out in the tabernacle and God gave her a child. Elijah prayed for drought and then he prayed for rain and both came at his prayer. But all of these, look right here, were part of God's plan, but did not happen until God's people prayed. This is a great statement. Let me put it on the screen for you here. Paul Rizkala To say we don't need to pray because God has determined all outcomes is as ridiculous as saying we don't need to take medicine, work for a living, or look for a spouse because God has determined all outcomes. Most of you in this room, maybe not all of you, but most of you took pretty seriously finding a spouse. I mean, you you maybe dated one or two or three, and you took it pretty seriously. You didn't just say, well, God will take care of the outcome, and I'll take whoever God gives me, all right? Oh, come on, laugh or do something. You know that that's not how you went about finding a spouse. And none of you just say, well, I don't need to work. I don't need to study. God, if it's God's desire for me to have what I need, he'll do it. No. And if you're sick, you take medicine. You don't just wait back. And so for us to say, well, God's already decided what God's going to do, and I don't need to do anything, is ridiculous. And yet it leads many people to sit on their hands and do nothing when it comes to prayer. Jesus taught that it was the Father's will, listen, that spiritual laborers be thrust into the harvest field. Jesus said it's the Father's will that they are they're like multitudes without a shepherd. But then he told us to pray about it. Look at Matthew chapter 9 and verse 37. Jesus, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You see, Jesus could have said, guys, see that? There's a lot of lost people. I think I'll just snap my fingers and we'll have lots of laborers. He could have done that. But in his sovereignty, he chose to use them and us. And he said, guys, I want you to pray that laborers will be thrust into the harvest field. God has allowed us to be co-workers with him in the salvation of humanity. Secondly, why do we persist in prayer? Why do I just keep asking? It's like I don't trust God, like I'm trying to beg or like I'm trying to change his mind. You do that because Jesus taught persistence. Ask and it shall be given unto you. 
Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Look at this in Matthew chapter, Luke 18. Jesus says there was a pair. He tells this parable. And he said that men ought to pray and not lose heart. They need to keep praying. There was a, in a certain city, there was a judge, Jesus said, who didn't fear. He didn't fear God or regard man. But there was a widow in that city. And she came to him saying, would you please get justice for me, for my adversary? And, and he wouldn't for a while. He didn't care about her. He didn't care about God. But afterward, he said within herself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. In other words, this judge said, I don't really care about her. I don't really care about, care about her God. But my goodness, if I don't answer her request, she is flat out going to wear me out. And so I'm going to give her what she asks. That's the parable. Look at the rest of it. The Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. And shall not God avenge his own elect? Who cry out day and night unto him, though he bears long with them. I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? You know what Jesus is saying? If a judge who doesn't give a flying leap about the person asking the request and doesn't care about God will finally relent when asked enough. How much more will your heavenly father, who loves you like crazy, how much more will he not respond to you when you continually ask him? That's why we persist, because Jesus taught us to persist. Eugene Peterson says in prayer, we are aware that God is in action. And that when the circumstances are ready, when others are in the right place, and when our hearts are prepared, he will call us into the action. Waiting in prayer is a disciplined refusal to act before God acts. Let me uh, go to the final point and give you some practical helps. You're not going to be wowed by my theology here. This is just real simple. But this is, prayer is not complicated. I mean, you could write a, people have volumes and volumes on how to pray and get results. I'm just going to tell you what the Bible says, and I won't write a book, and I'll, I won't have to spend the time, and you don't have to feel guilty and buy it at the bookstore. Okay, so I'm just going to tell you right here. Here's some practical helps for prayer. First of all, what's necessary for effective prayer? Number one, we must genuinely praise and adore God. We are, we are to praise Him. Jesus said, when you pray, pray this way. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Worship Him. Listen, let me just make this real simple. Spend the first few minutes of that time that you have set apart to pray and just worship him. Tell him you love him. Tell him that, that, that you are thankful for what he is doing in your life, which is really the next point. Tell him how great he is. Just worship him. Spend time just adoring him. Secondly, um, we should have hearts of gratitude. Psalm 100 verse 4. What do we do? We enter his gates with what? With thanksgiving. And so I come into your presence, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And I enter his gates with thanksgiving. I thank him for what he has done in my life already. God, I thank you because you've saved me. I thank you because I have eternal life. You've saved my family. I thank you for what you've done. And thirdly, the one that we have too often forgotten, and that is confession. You know, there used to be a day that confession was a big deal, but we are so grace-focused, and I'm thankful for grace, 
that we feel like we can just kind of sweep our sins under the rug and not have to confess our sins. The Bible says if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you. But if you hold on to those and sweep them under the rug, you might be suspect. Listen to what James 5 says. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So when I pray, I need to worship him. I need to thank him. I need to confess our pastor, Brother Conaway. We named Conaway Hall after, after, used to say, keep short accounts with God. Confess your sin. Get that life clean so that it's ready to receive from God. How should we pray? First of all, we should have sincere hearts, not empty words. God really doesn't care. Folks, I'm telling you, you some of you say, I just don't know how to pray. I don't have the words. You don't need fancy words. You don't need to pray the king's English. You just need to talk to God like you talk to anyone else. He's looking at your heart. He is not so concerned with your grammar or the words that you use. And God might even chuckle if you try to use a word and use it wrong anyway. Okay? I I just think he might. So just come to him with sincere hearts, not empty words. Secondly, your prayer can be silent or loud. I grew up and loved the time that you could hear people praying. That was wonderful. I loved that. But it doesn't have to be. It can be quiet. It can be loud. Thirdly, you can use your own words or words from Scripture. There's something very powerful about finding a promise in God's Word and just praying it. Just praying what the Word says. Boy, you cannot go wrong. If you struggle for, for words, find a Scripture. Find a Scripture that, that, that speaks to your heart about what God is wanting to do in your life and pray that. Fourthly, You can pray with understanding or in the Spirit. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, I will pray with the understanding. I will pray with the Spirit. Fifthly, you can even pray, I love this, (laughs) through our groaning. Knowing that the Spirit will communicate our heart to the Father. I can remember a very special time in my life just a few years ago when there was the heaviest burden I've ever had in my life. That there was a, a period of several months I would come here early in the morning and I would go to the other side of that subwoofer over there and that's where I would kneel and pray and there were times, many days, I didn't have any words. I I couldn't even, by the time I got on my knees, I was weeping and I did a lot of groaning. I couldn't even put a sentence together. I just groaned. But look at what Romans 8.26 says. This was such a comfort to me. The Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we don't know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. You know what? Listen, look at me for just a moment. Let me just talk really pastorally to you. The Holy Spirit knows your heart. And even if words don't form, he knows what your groaning is. And the Holy Spirit knows your heart better than you know yourself. And he knows the Father's will. There's something really powerful about praying in the Spirit or letting those groanings pour out. Because when you do that, it's not your mind praying. It's your heart. And your heart desires the will of God. The Spirit desires the will of God. The Spirit helps you. And he carries that which is already the will of the Father to the Father. And those two connect. Powerful things can happen when you just pour your heart out to God. Somebody say amen this morning. You can pray that way as well. You can join your prayer with fasting. We'll talk about that next week.
So what position or posture? This is just real practical. I told you. What position should I get in if I'm going to pray? Let me give you a few that the Bible talks about. Number one, uh, they're standing. 1 Kings chapter 8, Nehemiah chapter 9. You can do that. You can sit if you want to. 1 Chronicles chapter 17. You can kneel if you'd like. Ezra chapter 9. There are those people that think, I can't pray because I can't kneel. Well, you've got standing, sitting, kneeling. And here's everybody's favorite right here. Lying in bed. How about that? How many love that one? Okay. Here's the deal. Uh, you, You pray lying in bed. That's cool. But remember that Hebrews 10 says, don't forsake the assembly of yourselves together. So you lie in bed and pray, but get your sorry self here to church on Sunday morning after you've lied in bed and prayed. All right. That was anointed, by the way. If you didn't feel the anointing when I said that. So you can lie in bed and pray. You can bow down on the ground and pray. Exodus chapter 34. You can lie on the ground and pray. You can lift up your hands to heaven. So don't say, I can't pray because I can't kneel. That's the dumbest thing you could possibly say. You can pray in any of those postures and God doesn't care. Somebody say amen if you believe that. And besides that, you can pray everywhere. Paul said, I would, look at this, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. That's an attitude thing. If you want God to hear your prayer again, you've got to have that attitude check. Pray everywhere and always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Concerning you. Three-stranded cord is not easily broken. There's giving. There's prayer. Harry Emerson Fosdick, in the meaning of prayer, said, If God has left some things contingent on man's thinking and working, Why may he not have left some things contingent on man's praying? The testimony of the great souls is a clear affirmative to this. Some things never without thinking. Some things never without working. Some things never without praying. Prayer is one of the three forms of man's cooperation with God. Let me talk to you for just a moment. Um. I think it was four years ago now. I don't know. Josh mentioned it when he was inviting us to prayer. But several years ago, we decided that we would make, we would listen to what God said. We decided we would do it for January of that year, the month of prayer. And we would take five minutes out of our service to pray. By about week two, you could just really feel God in that time. Week three, it was just bigger and bigger and People started saying, we should do that all the time. And the staff started saying, we should do that all the time. And we are committed to that. Um, So encouraged by the Tuesday morning prayer. I think we're getting it. My house, my father's house, Jesus said, should be a house of prayer. I am. even with great preaching, if we had it. We would never be the church God wants us to be. Love our music, love our worship, love Pastor Clayton, love the choir, worship team and band, so good. But even with the best, we'll never be what God wants us to be. If we can somehow learn the power of prayer, 
quit making excuses. Some things you won't understand. Let's do what we know we're supposed to do. We're supposed to pray even if we don't understand it. Go back about 200 years in Christianity and uh, more than 200 years to a man by the name of John Newton (laughs) wrote Amazing Grace. We sang part of that earlier. He was a slave trader until he became a believer. God used him to change a lot of lives. He had some amazing prayer requests answered. I mean amazing. Things that would make the hair on your arms stand up when you found out that he prayed about it and these things happened. He, um, he did what he called large asking. Large asking. Somebody said, what does that large asking mean? And here's how he would explain it. He told the story about Alexander the Great. And this man uh, came to Alexander the Great and asked him to give him a large sum of money in exchange for his daughter's hand in marriage. Alexander agreed and told the man to request of Alexander's treasure, whatever he wanted. So the father of the bride went and he asked for an enormous amount. The treasure laughed, startled, stunned, mocked him a little bit. He said, I can't give that kind of money out without a direct order. So he went to Alexander. The treasurer said to Alexander, we can't give even a small fraction of that. That amount of money is just ridiculous. There's no way we can give that. And Alexander said, no, let him have it all. I like that fellow. He does me honor. He treats me like a king. And he proves by what he asks that he believes me to be both rich and generous. Newton concluded in the same way we should go to the throne of God's grace and present petitions that express honorable views of his love, his riches, and the bounty of our King. How how many think God is a big God? How many think God is a big, how many think he's a loving God, generous God? How many think he owns the cattle of a thousand hills? Do you know that? That's what the word says. I wonder what would happen if Glad Tidings became a church that practiced large asking. I'm going to challenge us in 2020 to pray big prayers. Let's um, let's pray that Muncie be saved. How about that? How many think Muncie needs to be saved? Let's pray that Muncie gets saved. Let's pray that Dunkirk comes to Christ. Not that many people. He's big enough to do that. Is there anything too hard for me? That's what God said. We, we don't ask big enough. We don't ask often enough. And can I just tell you something? I preached this in the first service, and I felt pretty good about it. It was a pretty good sermon that I just preached, and I, especially the challenge at the end. And then I got right over there praying during prayer time, and I thought, well, what are my big prayers? I'm praying. I haven't written anything down. Nice preaching, Kevin, but are you going to do it? So I just started jotting some big prayers down. I'm going to start praying. I'm going to make some big asks. I'm not asking a God that I have to scream at and holler at, tear my clothes for. I'm asking for a father. (laughs) But if I ask him for a piece of bread, he's not going to give me a stone. Who loves my children more than I do. Who loves his church more than I do. Who loves Muncie more than we do. So 
So I'm going to challenge you to ask some big things of God. Would you stand with me this morning? Bow your heads, please, as you stand. Heads bowed for just a moment. Maybe you're here today and you have uh, never invited Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life. You're not serving him. You know that. Your heart's not right with him. You're not ready to go to heaven. But you want to make sure you are before this day is over. You would just slip up your hand and say, Pastor Kevin, would you pray for me? I want to invite Jesus into my life today. I want to give him my heart. I want to serve him. Anybody in this room that would say, would you pray for me? Anybody in this place? Anybody in this room? Can I ask you a second question with your head still bowed? How many would say, I'm going to ask you two more questions. The first one is this. How many would say in 2020, I'm going to discipline I'm going to build discipline and prayer into my life with God's help. And I'm going to learn to ask big things of God. How many would raise your hand with me and say, I'm going to do that in 2020. I just feel like I really need to ask one more thing. Maybe you're here today. And there's a big ask in your life right now. There's a big ask in your life right now today. You need God to do something big in your life today. Would you slip up a hand right where you're at if you need God to do something big in your life today? We're going to sing this chorus greater than. Several hands were raised. I want to invite you to come and just stand and raised your hand. You don't have to, but I'd love for you to, so we can pray with you. You raised your hand. You got a big ask today as we sing that. Would you just come and stand?